the Keeping the River podcast series presented by Queen City Nerve, powered by Author Carolina, and hosted by yours truly, Dr. Keith Cradle, founder of Camping with Cradle. Throughout this series, we aim to inform listeners about how the Catawba River affects life in the Charlotte area and beyond, and the role of the Catawba River Keeper Foundation in ensuring those effects are as positive as possible. We will examine the history and impact of the Catawba River and the people who have settled it while highlighting the work of the Catawba River Keeper. We will share ways that you can be active on and get involved with the largest source of water in the Carolinas. On this episode, we will cover all of the bases of the Catawba River Keeper Foundation's work on the river. And with me today, none other than the, as he said, the Catawba River Keeper, Brandon Jones. Brandon, how you doing, man? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. Our first episode, we really touched on a lot of deep history, a lot of context. And I want to make sure we backtrack a little bit of that as we talk to you um, as from you know your perspective. But first and foremost, tell us where you're from, man, and how you got to Charlotte. Sure. Well, I grew up in Gastonia. I don't always claim it, but I grew up in Gastonia, a local boy, went to school at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, been a Charlotte resident for the last five years or so. Okay. And so tell us about how you got involved with the uh, Catawba River Keeper Foundation. Yeah, yeah I went to graduate school at uh, UNC Charlotte, uh, studying earth science and hydrology. And, you know, most of my peers, uh, I went to environmental consulting. I just kind of assumed that that's what I was going to do, too. And I actually had a friend of mine reach out and say, hey, have you ever heard of this Catawba River Keeper thing? They're hiring right now. I'm like, I think you'd be perfect. And did a bunch of research on the organization. Uh, couldn't believe I hadn't heard of it before. And, you know, as an environmentalist, you know, I was just drawn to it and just really excited to get in the door there. Um, and then about a year after I was in, uh, the previous Riverkeeper stepped down and I was, was promoted. And so most people, like you said, probably have not heard of, you know, the foundation in and of itself. But I want to go back a little bit and talk about, so what in school environmental studies is that what? So what, what are you actually studying? Because I know I didn't, I didn't know much about environmental studies, political studies maybe, but not environmental studies. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's two kinds of uh, things that you really look at, you know, both in undergrad and graduate school. And one is kind of your basis, just learning about like how the different cycles and hydrology and, and things like that work. And then the second part, which, which I think is, is the more interesting part that a lot of people get into are the case studies. And so there's so many of these like crazy cases get out there. There's like you know, Tennessee Valley Authority versus like snail darter, which is like this endangered species case everybody gets into. Or uh, North, South, North Carolina versus South Carolina, interbasin transfer about water rights. Um, there's, there's lots of these really interesting kind of environmental law and environmental issues. And you've also got these big spills. You know, everybody looks at like the Exxon Valdez spill, or re more recently, you know, the spill in the Gulf, um, or the PCB dumping in North Carolina. I mean, there's, there's lots of examples that... Um, that we look at. Okay. And so you said you had not heard of the Catawba River Keeper Foundation prior to leaving college. Someone brought it up to you. So what were your, what were your insights? What were your first thoughts? Well, I, was, uh, I really wish I had known about that before. And that was, that's on me. Uh, I did not uh, seek out that much volunteerism. Um, and I, I really wish I would have. The organization's been doing great work for a really long time, founded in 1997. You know, probably best known in this area for the coal ash litigation, you know, which started back in 2012. But they've been doing a, a tremendous amount of work. And so you said that the, you know, the person that you replaced was stepping down. So what was, what was that process like? So you found out that this person was leaving or what? He just had enough? He had done enough time? Or Yeah, it's, it's a challenging job, I will attest to. Uh, Sam Perkins, previous server keeper, had been there for five years. Um, and it's, it's hard. I mean, every day is different. You're constantly learning. We work a lot of hours. Um, and there's not a lot of consistency. 
yeah, yeah, it was a surprise to, to me, but I was very excited to, to be in this role. So talk about some of those challenges. What are some of the challenges that you face on a daily basis? I mean, the first one's just geographic. Uh, we cover a very, very large area, it's, you know, 5,000 square miles. So we cover everything from the Linville Gorge, Black Mountain, Lake James area, all the way down to Congaree National Park in South Carolina. So it's you know, roughly 5,000 square miles, 8,900 linear feet of streams, 300 miles of main stem. Uh, it's huge, 26 counties, two states. There's, there's a lot of area, um, and there's a lot of different rules, regulations, municipalities, organizations, advocates, types of pollution. Like, it's just extremely diverse. I mean, we start up in the, again, mountain streams end up in a swamp. And so we cover everything. And so you, you constantly have to learn. Uh, the other challenge is that, you know, this is not a, a natural river system. You know, this is not the type of system that I studied in school uh, because it's really engineered. Of the, you know, drop from the mountains down to Lake Watery, about 80% of that drop is actually captured in our reservoir systems. Hmm. And so you can think of, you know, Lake James, Rotis, Hickory, Lookout Shoals, Norman, Mountain Island, Wiley, all the way down. Uh, this this is really almost like a lock system. Like there's, there's most of the water is captured in those reservoirs. And so if we get a heavy rain, it doesn't necessarily mean like we're going to see a bunch more flow because that flow is managed by Duke. And so Duke will have, you know, release more water in anticipation of rain sometimes. And so we'll have like a bunch of water moving system before it even starts raining. You know, if there's a hurricane that's being forecasted and the same thing, you know, they will release water throughout the day to meet our electrical demands. Hmm. And so we see these pulses in the system that, that are really unusual. So that, that sounds to me like, so, so Duke Energy is basically the one guiding, nurturing, and controlling that flow of water. Exactly, exactly. You know, they are doing this under a, a Federal Energy Relicensing Commission um, permit, so that's their, their FERC grant. And so there are certain rules they have to follow. They have, there's minimum flow requirements, there's different times, there's recreational requirements, um, they're supposed to be in protect property, things like that. So it's not just they release water whenever they want to. Um, there's a, a pretty strict uh, rule book and, awesome. and a lot of awesome. oversight. That yeah. They could just release water whenever, let, let the hounds of the Catawba flow. So you said we do this work. How many people are involved doing that? Yeah, work? so at our organization, we're a staff of, of 10 full-time right now, um, but we really swell during the summer. Um, we, we pick up a lot of interns, a lot of uh, part-time employees, hourly employees, and volunteers are a huge part of our organization. Again, it's, it's a massive watershed, so I cannot be out there all the time. So we heavily rely on individuals to be the eyes and the ears and let us know what's going on in their creek, in their stream, in their lake, in their backyard. Um, because you know, without, without the support and that grassroots effort, you know, we're not going to get a lot of work done. So what's a typical day like for you? Every day is, is so different. Oh, gosh, I mean, it's, it's really varied. So a couple days a month, I'm out in the field sampling. And so uh, you go into the office, either grab a boat if we're going to be out on the water or grab some, you know, waders, things like that, bottles, equipment, and we go out and we take water samples. And so we have a, a fairly robust sampling program. Um, other days, I spend a lot of time, unfortunately, just right in front of a computer like the rest of us, answering mm -hmm. emails, um, and then doing a lot of reading. Um, there's so many uh, reports that are generated by Duke, uh, by the polluters, by the state, um, by other organizations. And so a lot of time just keeping track of what's going on in the North Carolina legislature, what's going on in the South Carolina legislature, what's going on in uh, Gaston County's uh, mining applications. You know, there's, there's lots of stuff constantly going on that you have to read up on and, and stay informed. 
Uh, other days, you know, I'm actually going out, traveling, speaking to individuals, you know, investigating you know, reported spills, um, speaking at public hearings, things like that. So every day is a, a little bit different. And there's also like a lot of really fun stuff. Like today, like most of our staff is in the Belmont Parade. On oh, Thursday, yeah. I'll be in you know, the Cramerton Parade. So there's, there's stuff like that, too. You guys got a mascot? We do. We have a, a heron. Okay. His name is Sterling. <laughs> okay. And so you say you take samples from the water. What are you, what are you looking for when you, when you pull a sample? Yeah, so we don't just go out and sample, you know, just for the fun of it. Uh, we usually have something in mind. And so our, our two more robust sampling programs are our CAFO program. That's our concentrated animal feeding operations. Uh, so these are like large industrial farms. Uh, so in the Catawba Basin, most of those are dry litter poultry operations. So those are like meat chickens and turkeys. Uh, there's roughly 765 of these and somewhere around 40 million birds in the basin, and they produce a lot of waste. And so we sample downstream of those facilities uh, looking for runoff, looking for fecal bacteria in the streams, and we do that once a month. Um, the other program that we do um, that's over the summer is our swim guide program. And the most common question we get is, is it safe to swim? Right. Yeah, my grandkids are coming to town. I want to go out in the lake. You know, I see all these people hanging out in the water, but like, am I going to get sick? And up until about three years ago, we really couldn't answer that question. You know, the federal government requires states to test uh, the salt water and set, test beaches. So if you go to like you know, any beach in North Carolina, they have hundreds of sites where they're regularly monitoring and they'll have a little thing saying, hey, swimming's safe today or hey, swimming's not safe today because there was a sewage spill or whatever. And we don't have that in freshwater. And the state doesn't have the resources to test all the lakes. They actually only test the lakes once every five years. And so you can imagine, like, if I'm, somebody asks me, is it safe to swim? And I go back and say, well, five years ago, they took two <laughs> samples, and uh, it was okay then. You know, that's, that's not representative. So right. through a grant program, we were able to get our own equipment. And so we go out, and we, again, is not just me and our staff and, volunteer, er, and our interns. It's also volunteers. This is a volunteer-driven program where individuals get out on their personal watercraft. They go to locations. They grab samples. Um, our interns grab those samples, bring them back. Uh, myself and other staff members with those interns run the samples and we process them. So we collect about 60 bacteria samples per week all across the basin from Lake James down to Lake Watery and let people know whether or not it's safe to swim. So for people who may not know about the Catawba Riverkeeper Foundation, in their daily lives, are there touch points that they don't even know about, that you are doing something and we don't even know about it? Yes. You know, everybody in this area is dependent on the Catawba River. I mean, unless you're, you know, on the well water off grid, you know, I don't even know if you're allowed to have a house off grid anymore. But yeah, if you're connected to the power system, if you're connected to city water, you are being impacted by the Catawba River. And so we are, you know, the only full basin advocate for that. And so, you know, municipalities, Duke Energy, uh, industry, you know, they're all going to have a certain um, perspective on that. And our perspective is to protect the water and really make sure that we're the voice of the individuals who don't have time to read through a thousand pages of permits for a mining application. They don't have time to read through wastewater treatment plant upgrades that are being proposed. Uh, and so that's kind of our job is to be that advocate for the people and for the environment. And so how can people advocate for the river as well if, you know, because we know you can't do it all. What is our part to play in all of it? 
Yeah, so there's a lot of different options. It really, whatever you're passionate about. So would I love like people to come out and read these reports and help me out and flag things that are happening in local meetings? That's great. Uh, people have more money than time and want to donate. You know, we're a nonprofit. We can always use help funds. Uh, if people want to come out and help pick up trash, and we have multiple river sweeps, the biggest one being in October. This year we picked up over 50,000 pounds of trash in one day. Uh, so they can do you know litter removal. That's super helpful. They can volunteer for our litter getter program where we do that. You know, every time it rains, we go out and pick up trash. They can attend one of our water watcher trainings where we kind of go through the Clean Water Act and what you know citizen rights there are. Um, there, there's a lot of options, um, and honestly, just being aware of it, and even going out and like paddling with your friends and talking about you know how pretty Lake James is, or like oh man, you know, I really enjoy the Bridgewater section, or you know we went rafting over here and it was great. You know just Letting people know that this is, you know, part of their environment that's there is is definitely helpful. It's hard to get people to care and advocate for something that they don't know exists. Right. So is that something that you all are working on to make sure that that word gets out? How do you spread that message for for folk that typically probably may not have heard of? Yeah. Think? So our kind of three pillars of, of programs are educate, protect, and engage. And so on the education side, you know, we're going into classrooms and we're you know telling kids about um, all the different you know, ways that they can interact with the water ecosystems, things like that. We're also have hosted summer camps. And so, you know, getting kids out there, we do a Riverkeeper learning series, which is an adult education program um, where we, you know, talk about like, you know, what kind of water quality do you need to make good beer? You know, th- things that, you know, adults really so care answer about. answer that question. Well, yeah, you need, you need clean, plentiful water, hopefully at a, at a cheap cost. And uh, so we do have that here in the region. You know, most of our water is coming from, well, at least for the Charlotte breweries, it is coming from the city. They're pulling it from uh, Mountain Island Lake and Lake Norman, and it does meet those qualities. And so we're able to have, you know, a pretty robust brewery system here. And it's not at a high cost where we do that very cheaply. Uh, on the engagement side, you know, we want to get people on the water. Again, we want people to be out on the water. And so this past year, you know, we were fortunate enough to move to McCaddenville and be on the banks of the South Fork. So we got over 1,000 people out on the South Fork paddling uh, in kayaks, canoes, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be expanding that program to have other options for people that don't necessarily want to kayak. Uh, so if you want to you know, stand up paddleboard, if you want to do yoga, if you want to mountain bike beside the trail, whatever it is, we want to encourage people to get out there and recognize that that's part of their environment and that, you know, they have a right to access it and they have a right to clean water. Um, so that, those are kind of the big things. Again, educate people about what's there and then actually get them out on the thing. And that makes it a lot easier to do the protection work. And so we, we talked a little bit about those breweries that are accessing that water um, and, and they're dependent to some extent on good, clean water for business purposes. Are they a part of that advocacy too? Do you all do programs with them so that they can educate their beer drinkers? Yes, yes. Uh, it might come a shock to your listeners, but uh, here at the Riverkeeper staff, we do like beer. Um, <laughs> we actually have uh, beer on draft at the office. We got our, our ABC license, so we're also selling beer. Nice. Um, all the beer that we sell you know, comes from the Catawba Basin, so you can stop by uh, McCaddenville, see the lights, grab a beer here in a couple weeks. You know, it's, those breweries have been excellent partners. I mean, those guys are awesome. They work hard. They've got a, a fun job as well. And they've been really good. Between the Riverkeeper Learning Series, you've know, been working with the Charlotte Independent Brewers Association to do a roundup for the river, things like that. Um, donating persons of sales, donating rooms and access. Triple C has been an amazing partner with us. All the breweries that you know, we've worked with you know, dozens over the years have really been fantastic. Favorite part of the job? 
honestly, I, I love the variety. I know I kind of complained about it earlier, but just the fact that I don't do the same thing every day, that I'm constantly learning, that I'm constantly being challenged, that's the thing that I, I really love about this job. I mean, I come in, I don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing that day. I've got a plan, but, you know, <laughs> things happen. But at the end of the day, whatever I'm doing is, you know, it's improving water quality, you know, for myself and, and for my family and, and for everybody else in the base. And so it's really nice to have that variety and to have that kind of purpose and know that what you're doing is, is really making the world better. So for an average guy like me, um, outside of advocacy, what can I do to help make water quality better? Is there anything I can do? Yeah, there's some little stuff. I mean, the, the first one, and this is like super basic, but you know, just pick up after your dog. I can't tell you like how many times like we go out and sample, uh, particularly like near a dog park or something, and it's, it's bad. Please, please pick up after your dog. You know, don't throw leaves in the lake. Uh, don't throw your trash on the ground. Um, there's kind of like that like basic stuff. Um, on the higher level, you know, conserving water is great. Conserving energy is actually even better. Uh, in our area, more water is evaporated to make electricity than is actually used for drinking. Um, so if you really want to conserve water in our area, you know, turn off the lights. Um, that actually does a little bit more. Those are kind of the basic things. And then, like I said, just keeping an eye out and thinking about like, okay, you know, what is this law going to do or what is my impact going to be doing on this? Um, just really thinking about how uh, your activities are going to impact the water is really helpful. Is there any uh, legislation coming up that we need to be aware of? We just got through the North Carolina legislative session, uh, so that was that was good. Uh, it's been you know, four years since we passed a budget. We are excited, though, about some of the funding in there, so we know that there's going to be some grants given out this year based on that. You know, on the Gaston County side, the Gaston County commissioners are going to be voting whether or not to rezone this property uh, for a mine. That's going to be a, a huge deal um, on that front. They're still getting through the state permit, so it hasn't started yet. You know, there's there's also a couple, like I would say, low-hanging fruit uh, things that we'll probably be pushing here in 2022. Uh, one of those is a ban on high PAH or um, coal tar sealant on asphalt. And so this is kind of a, a weird, like, niche thing, but uh, basically every parking lot that you've ever been on or seen is sealed. And there's two ways to seal the parking lots. Um, one of them is with a product called coal tar sealant, and one of them is with a product uh, called emulsified asphalt. And the coal tar sealant is about a thousand times more toxic uh, than the emulsified asphalt. And now they cost about the same. So <laughs> Mecklenburg County, for instance, has, has banned that the, the more toxic one. Boone has uh, state of California, DOT, state of Minnesota, D.C., Austin, Texas. A lot of municipalities, including Mecklenburg County, have already banned it. Uh, but we'd like to roll that out because, uh, again, it's just there's an easy alternative um, it doesn't take a lot of political will uh, to fix it, and it does make a big difference. And you said that the, um, earlier on that the Catawba River encompasses a wide range of acreage. Favorite part for you? Oh, man. Um, or a couple of favorite parts, I'm yeah, quite sure. This year we did a 75-mile a paddle from the Watery Dam down to Congaree National Park, and that section is just so remote and expansive. I mean, we paddled like 40 miles and I didn't see like anybody, you know, just being it really out kind of in the middle of nowhere there, seeing alligators, that was pretty cool. Uh, in North Carolina. South Carolina. South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. So that section is absolutely beautiful. The Linville Gorge is probably my favorite section yeah. in North Carolina. Yeah. I mean, that place is, is wonderful. Any history um, about the foundation that you want to tell us that we sure. might not know, one of those hidden gems? Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't know, I, I always feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. 
you know, I'm the fifth river keeper with the organization and the previous river keepers, they've all had their own flair and their own things. Um, and they've gotten an amazing amount of work done. Uh, one of my, my favorite things that they were able to accomplish, one of the things that I really look back on is, is something that was a tremendous amount of work was uh, the relicensing. And so, you know, earlier we talked about, you know, Duke has this permit to run the dams and all that stuff. Um, that permit expired back in 2008. And so they had to get a new one. Mm-hmm. And this coalition was formed with all these different groups, including ours, to get more things during the relicensing saying, hey, okay, Duke, we're going to allow you to regulate the water and have these dams and then charge everybody for the power. Okay, well, what do we get in return? And so a lot of the improvements that you see now around the basin as far as recreational access points being built, as far as minimum flow requirements, um, new surveys for endangered species, um, a lot of that work was done, you know, kind of behind the, the closed doors in 2006 to 2008 by organization and others. And we're still seeing the benefits of that. I mean, there's about to be a huge new uh, state park in South Carolina. Uh, that could be the Dearborn Island State Park. Uh, there's going to be rapids in the Catawba for the first time in like 100 years uh, with this area at Great Falls where it was diverted over for hydropower is now going to be rewatered. And there's going to be class three and four whitewater. Stuff like that um, is really, really just a lot of hard work that was done by those individuals. And it's, we're still seeing the fruits of it today. And you mentioned endangered species. What... What species are in danger here in North Carolina that you can cite? Unfortunately, they don't make it up to North Carolina, uh, so South Carolina. anymore. Yes, yeah, so in South Carolina, we're looking at Atlantic sturgeon, robust red horse. In North Carolina, we do have an endangered, federally endangered species. Uh, and it's a mussel, and it's called Carolina heel splitter. And so there's a population in Goose Creek here in Mecklenburg County, um, and there's an effort to put it in more areas of the Catawba, but it's, it's a slow process, and those mussels, they really need high-quality shaded streams. And unfortunately, with the amount of development uh, that's going on and, and the previous development as well in agricultural use, um, we just don't have a lot of that left. And, and so you said there was only f- five previous river keepers, five or six previous. River- I'm the fifth. You're the fifth. So yeah. do people recognize you? They see like he's that's the <laughs> river keeper. My friends have a lot of fun with that. I'm um, quite sure. Yeah, not as many people in public, though. Uh, there was a little period there uh, where during the, uh, the coal ash hearings. Um, I was on the news a lot, and every now and then someone would say something, but no, in general, I'm, I'm not I'm not exactly a public figure. You need like a stovetop, like a stovepipe <laughs> hat, like yeah. a big hat that says the... Got to come up with a look. That's what you, you, gotta, well, you, you got. You got the beard. The branding, yeah. You got the beard. You got the voice, so we just got to get you a, a look, and, and people will recognize you. How can people support the foundation? Yeah, so again... In whatever way that they feel most comfortable, most passionate about. So, you know, surely we'll, we'll take your money. We're a nonprofit. We always uh, need more money. You know, we are really limited by what we can do by the amount of staff that we have. You know, when people give us money, they're like, oh, you know, what do you need? Do you need a new boat? Do you need this? Do you need that? No, we need more people. You know, we need more people so they can really focus on these issues. Um, the same thing, you know, if, if you know, you're not in a position to give money and you've got more time or you're really passionate about something else, um, we always need more volunteers. And so, again, that can be going to the city council meetings. That can be picking up trash. Um, that can be going into classrooms and helping us with education. And that can be helping us lead kayaking tours or take pictures or whatever you're passionate about. We can find a way to tie that into improving water quality. So ideally, how many people would you need or how many people would you like to have? So this past year on uh, the first Saturday in October, we had 1,700 people volunteer to pick up trash, and we picked up to about 50,000 pounds. 
we could have handled twice that, you know? So we always need more volunteers uh, for those big events. And they, but on a regular basis, you know, it's more about the geographic coverage. You know, we need somebody that's up there in Black Mountain. We need somebody that's on Lake Hickory. We need somebody that's on Lookout Shoals. We need somebody that can really be the eyes and ears for those areas. Because again, it's such a big watershed. Five years from now, what are you thinking? I don't know. It's, it's really exciting. So we're going to have our 25th anniversary uh, coming up here in 2023. We're also moving uh, to a new headquarters, still in McCaddenville, but we'll have a dedicated office. I'm excited to have hopefully more staff that we can really specialize. Uh, this past year, we were able to hire um, uh, Grant Buckner to work on the, the northern Catawba Basin. So he's really just focusing on a small part of the basin. And this is a specific grant but we'd love to have somebody else that was focusing on the South Fork. We'd love to have somebody else that was focusing on the Watery River. We'd love to have somebody that could really kind of focus on those areas and help us expand that footprint. So now we have an office in Morganton. We have an office um, that we're opening up in Chester County in South Carolina. And so being a, um, a better full basin advocate by having more staff in those places, I mean, that's, that's the dream. And for a young kid, uh, 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 the next Brandon studying in college right now, what are some of the tips to get getting to this point and, and recognizing that this is a real career, this is something you really can be passionate about and do and fulfill your life? Yeah, so first off, it's, it's nonprofit work, so you have to decide that you care more about the job than the money. That's, that's the first thing you kind of have to come to terms with. <laughs> the second thing is you really, at least in our industry, and I think this is probably true for any kind of small nonprofit, you got to be able to teach yourself. you got to care. You've got to be able to go on YouTube, watch those videos, sign up for those courses, because the variety of work and the problems that you're going to face are not necessarily things that you've been trained on. But you just have to have the attitude. It's like, okay, well, I need to make this type of map. I've never done that, but I know a guy that can, and I'm going to go talk to them. Or like, hey, you know, we're really, you know, there's been the spill of, you know, this particular type of PFAS. And four years ago, I'd never heard of perfluorinated alkaline substances. I still haven't heard of it. Yeah, Gen X, C8. Uh, Mark Ruffalo just made a movie about it, uh, Dark Waters. Yeah, um, yeah I did watch there, that. There we go. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we have that here, too. And so, yeah, I mean, just, just being willing to learn and being willing to find those experts. Um, I think that that flexibility and um, that curiosity is what's really important. For you, as, as you think about continuing to do the job, what is it that you're looking forward to? I mean, the first thing I'm looking forward to this next year um, is moving into a real office. <laughs> right now, we're kind of uh, squatting in what was a greenhouse and then the Pee Wee football uh, headquarters and is now like a half-renovated building. Come check it out, the boathouse. The half that guests come to is quite nice. Um, but moving into a, a dedicated office with a like dedicated lab is going to be huge for us. Um, being able to store all of our stuff in one spot, being able to process samples quickly and efficiently uh, so that we can do more of the work uh, for a lower cost, that, that to me is the next big step. It's having that dedicated space, and I'm very excited about it. Looking back when you first started, anything you didn't know then that you wish you had known then? Oh, gosh. Uh, so many things. Yeah, I, I will say uh, I thought I knew a lot more than, than I know. Yeah, I, I looking back, I, I really, when I started, I thought I had a better handle on it. And then it's one of those things, the more you learn, the more you know, the realize, the more you don't actually know. I mean, uh, this is a big job. It's a big basin. And there's a lot of different issues um, that I've been learning about. And at the time, I, I thought I had a pretty good handle on it. And I did not. And so once more for the folk that are listening, what are some of the ways that we can continue to help out 
um, but also how we can help preserve the actual Catawba River. Yeah, I mean, check out our website. There's a lot of stuff on there. I mean, we're constantly having different events and advocating for, um, you know, different either legislative initiatives or, you know, more things on the local level. So it's kind of following us on social media, following what we're doing, signing up for our e-newsletter so you can be aware so that when something does happen, you know, in your backyard, that you know about it and that you can uh, engage with us on those issues. So drop those socials for people so they know. Sure. So the website is catawbariverkeeper.org. Um, I am ashamed to say that I do not have our Instagram, Twitter, and other accounts memorized. But if you type in Catawba Riverkeeper, uh, we're pretty good about popping up first on Google. And then you can also sign up for the newsletter. On yeah, on the website. Okay. Anything else that you want to tell us? I just really appreciate you guys having me here and covering this issue. Like I said, I mean, I live in it. It's the most important thing to me. Uh, and I get really excited when other people think it's important too. Well, we all live in it, and I think we should be excited about it, learning more and more about the Catawba River Keeper Foundation, the Catawba River itself. We, we thank you so much for coming in, and we continue to drive this subject, this narrative, to make sure you get what you need so this thing thrives you know, for eternity. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.